The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. I'd like to start this morning just with a question, and this is not one that I'm asking you to raise your hand on, although you might want to, and that's fine. But let me just start by asking this question. Who among us today uh, in our congregation present or watching online right now are perhaps faced with a very challenging situation in your life. Maybe it's a situation that may involve a work displacement or you're out of work or you know that you're about to be out of work. Perhaps it's a situation where you are dealing with a family matter, maybe a son or a daughter that uh, have turned away from the Lord and not walking with Him. Maybe it's a situation that just this last week you've gotten information that you have a serious illness and you're dealing with that and there's this crisis and you're kind of at a fork in the road and you're not sure which way to go, whether to go to the left or the right or what to do about the situation. And maybe you're asking God, God, would you just take this situation away from me? I've prayed that prayer many times. Anybody else want to raise your hand on that? God, just take it away because I don't know how to deal with it. I don't want to deal with this situation. And it's causing me a lot of great stress, and I just don't understand. God, I've, I've searched my heart. I've, I've examined my life, and I... I know that for sure there's no besetting sin that is kind of bringing this along. How many of us know that sometimes situations in our lives are just because we're boneheadedly rebellious against God? And it's not that. God, I know that I'm, I'm in fellowship with you, but, but Lord, there's something happened. God, why aren't you showing up? Well, can I pose to you that the answer to that question is simply in the statement of the title of our message this morning, The Wisdom of God. You see, you and I have a very limited view in life. As a matter of fact, the only thing that we can see in life is, is where we have been and look back and we can only see the situation that we're in and while we may have hope that God is going to work out, we have no idea what's going to happen in the future and it's in those places that you and I desperately need not only to know the wisdom of God but know that we can believe and hold on to the fact that God is an all-wise God. He knows from the beginning, and he knows to the very end. I want to read a paragraph from A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, to describe how he explains the wisdom of God. A.W. Tozer says the wisdom of God is to believe actively that our Heavenly Father constantly spreads around us providential circumstances that work for our present good, for our everlasting well-being and brings to the soul a variable benediction that we would praise Him when we finally get to the end of that. Believing and trusting the wisdom of God, if we grab hold of that and we walk in that, will give us a peace within the midst of those circumstances or situations that we have no idea how they're going to turn out. 
It gives us a rest in the midst of that. And I'm not talking about just sticking our head in the sand and say, okay, fate is going to work that out. But it's believing that God is an all-wise God. While you and I may not understand, God understands completely and he's working. Tozer goes on to say this. He says, most of us go through life praying a little, planning a little, jockeying for position, hoping, but never being quite sure of anything, always secretly afraid that we'll miss the way. That is a tragic waste of truth and never gives rest to the heart. Can I propose to you that if we grasp the wisdom of God and not only begin to understand what is almost understandable to us, but if we hold on to the truth that God is an all-wise God, that in the midst of that, it will change our lives as we approach situations or situations come about in our lives. Somebody asked me this morning, how you're doing, J-Mo? And I said, well, I'm doing fine right now, but I have no idea what five minutes holds. You see, life can turn on a dime, can it? We have our plans. We've planned out the way things are going to be, but life can just absolutely turn on a dime. And that hope, that assurance in the wisdom of God can give us a sure footing and a foundation in an all-wise God that has everything in absolute control. I can remember in mine and Sandy's life when I first began to grasp the wisdom of God. And I called Sandy this week, as a matter of fact, uh, to ask her, what's the one moment in our life that you saw that we really began to have to rely and believe on the wisdom of God? And she said the very same thing that I was thinking about. It was in early 1990s, I think 1992 or 93, where we knew that the Lord was leading us out of, or leading me out of a vocational job environment and moving us into full-time vocational ministry. And so we had an opportunity that we would go to Canada in Ontario to spend several months in what they call a discipleship training school with Youth with a Mission. But that meant that in order to take that step, we had to sell everything that we had, and the only thing that we kept was that which we could pack in the back of our Chevy Astro van. I even sold my wife's best set of dishes. Now, tools were necessary, so I didn't sell any tools. But And so we were making a break from, from living a life vocationally and what I had done at the time and taking that step into where we believe God was calling us to. And of all places, Canada. Any Canadians in the crowd this morning? No offense, but Canada is very different than the United States, right? So we pack up everything in our van, and just before we were packing out, we knew that we had to sell the house. And, and in the meantime, in order to leave at a certain date, I had to have the house cleared out so it could sell. And, and I remember getting up close to the date, just days away that we were going to be packing up and leaving with our two young children to go to Canada, that there was no activity on the house at all. 
It hadn't been shown. There was no hope at all. It wasn't like a market today that people are bidding on the house, but it was sitting there for a long time. And I can remember just frustrated and sitting down and questioning our decision. And I sat down on a box and I'm like, God, what am I to do? And God says, get up and keep packing your stuff. We moved to Canada without the house being sold, but in just a couple of weeks, the house sold, and we're there in Canada. And not only were we there in Canada, we had expected that at the end of that, we were ready to go wherever God might call us, whether it would be Africa, whether it be Asia, whether it be South America, Central America. We just knew that God had called us, and we were willing to go. And as the time approached, the end of those several months there in Canada, we had no place to go. And so I can remember nights walking around the campus where we were and just praying and asking God, little did I know that God would call me right back here to Georgia to begin to pastor a church that we were a part of planting here in the Conyers area. And I questioned whether or not God was all wise because the only place that we could find to live because I didn't have two nickels to rub together was in a one-bedroom basement apartment with two young children. Driving a 1978 Datsun B210 that somebody gave me and I had to prop up the hatchback with a stick. And when I would take my kids to school in the morning, I had to wrap them in blankets because the heat didn't work in the car. I remember my son saying one time, I never realized that we were poor. All I knew is dad had to wrap us in a blanket to take us to school. But I began to see in that time the wisdom of God. That God not only saw the beginning, but God also sees the end when we can't see the end. And God is always working out things in His wisdom. Now, how do we define the wisdom of God? I've discovered that oftentimes when I think of human wisdom, it's very different than what God's wisdom is. And even the wisdom that we seek as believers is very different in the sense that God's wisdom is so much higher than what we're able to understand or comprehend. A.W. Tozer defines the wisdom of God this way. Wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise a perfect end and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning so that there can be no need to question or conjecture. It sees a beginning from the end. That God devised plans, He works plans out to achieve a perfect end. Those ends by the most perfect means for the most people. There's an old story that many of you have probably heard before and it's repeated in different ways, but it goes something like this. The setting was a couple of centuries ago, and over the ravine of a river in a small town, there was a train track that went over the river, and the river was used for commerce where ships would pass by. And there was the switcher that would sit there in his shack, and he would wait for the evening train to come. And when the evening train would come, he could see it from a distance, and he would hit the switch that would rotate that bridge so that the train could pass over the bridge without falling into the river. Here in the other times, the bridge had to be turned so that 
that ships could pass under. And as he's seeing the train approach from a distance, he knew that he had to switch the switch so that the train could turn and several hundred people on that train and his job was very important or the lives of those hundreds of people would be at peril. And just as he's about to switch, he looks down and he sees his young boy at somewhere around the age of four and five playing around the gear mechanism and he realizes and recognizes that if he throws that switch to turn the train track so that the train doesn't fall into the ravine, that his little boy that's playing around the gears is going to be crushed without question. And so he's sitting there with the dilemma in his mind. He sees the train approaching, and he knows that there are several hundred people on the train, but he sees his little boy there in the gearbox, and he's faced with this decision. What do I do? Do I throw the track knowing that I'm going to crush and kill my little boy, or do I let it stay open so that the train goes over and several hundred people could die? What is the wisest thing to do in that situation? Now, I could send you all to small group this afternoon, and and you might pontificate and think about the different things and say, well, the best thing to do would be to save his son. By by the way, that's his own only son. No, the best thing to do is for him to allow the other to perish so that he might save his own son. What is the best moral decision to make in that situation? On the train, there may be one who's the next Billy Graham. And he will lead millions to Christ in his ministry. And perhaps his son is the next doctor who's going to find the cure to cancer. He doesn't know all these questions. What's the best thing to do? And can I propose to you that none of us knows the wisest decision to make in that circumstances? You see, we're not all-knowing. We don't know all that we need to know. A.W. Tozer goes on to state this, that all of God's acts are done in perfect wisdom, first for his own glory and then for the highest good of the greatest number for the longest time. And not only could his acts not be better done, a better way to do them could not be imagined. And isn't that parallel to our life oftentimes? And sometimes circumstances in life do not work out the way that we would hope or pray that they would. We wonder, God, why did this happen? God, why did you allow that to happen? God, didn't I pray and aren't you supposed to be at my beckoning call that anything I pray you do? No, because God is acting in all wisdom. He is God. And sometimes we may not understand the results of God's decision or his providence, but we have to believe and trust that God is an all-wise God. And he's working all of those out, first of all, he says, for his glory and then for our good. Let me read a couple of other definitions so we kind of hopefully grasp this idea of the wisdom of God. Burkhoff in his systematic theology says about the wisdom of God is that attribute where he produces the best possible results by the best possible means. Webster defines it this way. He says the quality of being wise 
power of judging rightly and following the soundest course of action based on knowledge, experience, and understanding. The root words in that are to see and to know. And we have to recognize that in the wisdom of God, God sees all from eternity past, and God sees all for eternity future, and God is working out everything in your life and in my life and in this world. First of all, for His glory, that He might be glorified. And one of the ways He's glorified is that we get to the end of it and we go, God, I never would have done it that way. Have you ever had times in your life where maybe you faced that situation and you were biting your nails going into it and you spent all of those hours worrying, you spent all of those hours trying to make things happen, but it seems like nothing you try happens, happens, and then finally you just rest and when you look back you say, you know what, I could have never written a better script than what God wrote. You see, it's because God is all wise. His wisdom is far beyond our wisdom. James explains his wisdom this way. In James chapter 3, verse 17, he says, But the wisdom from above is first pure. Pause there for a minute. This word pure that's translated from the Greek means that, that God's wisdom is, is free from any defilement. We've seen that God is a holy God. So when God gives his wisdom, it is pure. It has at the root of that meaning of the word that that it's virginal, that, that God's wisdom is extremely pure, never has it been defiled. Then James says that God's wisdom is gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And when we look at those results or the benefit of God's wisdom, how is it that we could ever question the wisdom of God? You see, God, as we've seen in this real God study, is that God is good. God is generous. God is a holy God. God is an omnipotent God. God is all-powerful. God knows all. And we can rely and trust. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, after he's gone through the first almost 11 chapters and, and looking at this great salvation that God has worked out for lost humanity through his son Christ, Paul says this, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. You see, I think as Paul was writing this, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's looking at all this theology that he's, he's put in his book, and he sees the incredible plan and wisdom of God to bring all of this about. And Paul is exploding in an expression of worship where he says, Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. We can worship God in his wisdom because he is an all wise God. Wisdom of God is, in some way, is kind of like a tapestry. Our life, if we look at this picture of a tapestry that we have here, 
on the back of the tapestry, we, we kind of see all of life's events, circumstances in life, and, and somehow or another it's confusing and, and, and it's not pretty to look at and, and we just don't understand and we can't really make out how everything is going to be, but we don't realize that while the back of that, which reflects our life sometimes, on the other side of that, God is working out in our lives a beautiful picture that only He could work out in all of our lives. So whatever you might be faced with today, whatever you might be faced with tomorrow because life turns on a dime, remember we may not have a clear picture, but God is working out His plans and His purposes for His glory and for our greater good. Would it make a difference in our lives if we truly believe in the wisdom of God in the circumstances in our life? Would it make a difference? It would. How has God revealed his wisdom to us? First of all, let me give you the first point in your notes. We see that God has revealed his wisdom to us through creation. I know I speak a lot of this, but it just always blows my mind when I think of it. Psalm 104, verse 24, David writes and he says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all, and the earth is full of your creatures. I was doing some reading this week in, in, our, in our solar system and just marveling at the wisdom of God when he created By the way, it didn't just come by chance, amen? God spoke it, and it was. And we see the wisdom just in our solar system, let alone in the infinite galaxies that lie beyond. And the the planet of Jupiter is extremely big and large, and because of the gravitational pull of Juniper, all of those meteors and, and big rocks that would fly through space that inevitably would, would hit the earth, gravity by the size of Jupiter just sucks all those things in, so we're not going to die by an asteroid hitting the earth. I don't care what Hollywood says, amen? The moon, our, our closest planet, that it has just the right amount of gravity. By the way, we can see the results of gravity, but yet we still cannot, science cannot fully explain and define gravity. The definition is by the results, but how it works, only God knows. But we see the moon, how at just the right gravitational pull, that it tilts the earth in just such a way that, that if it was tilted to even one degree more or less, then half of the earth would burn up because of the sun rays from the sun, and the other half of the earth would just freeze, and we would be no more. How wise is God? It doesn't come by chance. It comes by God in His wisdom. I think of every human being. Do you realize that everyone in this room started at one single cell? One little single cell. And God, in His wisdom, 
is able to take that one single cell and now we understand what DNA is and, and God just at the right time of the development of you when you were in the womb of your mother which by the way God knew you as you were formed in your mother's womb and at just the right time that DNA is programmed by God in his wisdom to cause that one little cell to begin to develop a skeletal system so that this body can be supported. Even with the more weight that I put on that I can't button my jacket anymore, that skeletal system supports this body. Amen? That at just the right time, God has programmed it in that in his wisdom that our nervous system begins to develop and, and then later our circular system begins to develop. And lo and behold, when that baby is delivered, we get something like this. That's my newest grandbaby, Teddy, and I knew I could figure out a way to work him into the sermon. Back, back to the picture. If you'll notice, he's got pecs like his poppy. That's why God is a pro-life God. In that little teddy, there's a spirit that resides. And we know right now, as the scriptures teach us, that spirit is dead to God. He's fallen, racked by sin, just like every one of us are. God purposes and desires for that little Teddy to come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. You see, God desires that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. And in God's infinite wisdom, he, he works out all the plans and the details. The second way that God has revealed to us his wisdom is through providence. We spoke of this a lot as we were going through the book of Genesis. Psalm 33, 10 and 11 tells us this, that the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and his plans of his heart to all generations. Now, I know that when we look at our world today, when we look at our country and circumstances around the world, we can get the idea that it's all falling apart. What's going to hold it together? But can I encourage you to look back and through the history of humanity where God, starting with one man, Abraham, called him and said, I'm going to make out of you a great people that will be my people. And throughout all of history, God has kept his people in his wisdom through all kinds of circumstances. Who would have ever imagined that after Hitler had slaughtered millions, and particularly millions of Jews, that in 1948, that which Hitler thought he had stamped out, God would bring to birth another nation that had never happened in human history before. You see, God is a wise God. And when we look at our nation and, and we recognize that we are in a postmodern, post-Christian nation, 
what used to be three times that we would share a gospel story with somebody, they would come to Christ. Now it's estimated by George Barna that it takes some 27 engagements for a person to place their faith in Christ. Around the world, while we may not see it, we can be encouraged that God is still preserving His people and His people are growing at exponential rates around the world, particularly in Africa, Asia, and in the Middle East. Now that God is moving, God through His providence brings these things about and while we may see or think that the world is spiraling out of control, God is an all-wise God. And God knows how he's using events in this world to bring about his purposes for his glory for the most effect. I think perhaps the greatest way that God's revealed his wisdom to us is through redemption. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 10. I would encourage you to go back and read context in all of this chapter, but just write these verses down in your notes. Paul's talking to these believers, and to paraphrase, he said, Listen, I didn't come to you with eloquent speech and human wisdom. I I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so this wisdom that I've brought to you is not some man-made philosophy. It's not some spiritualism that kind of tries to melt everything else in, which so much of the church is infected by today in our views of God. We try to add all these other things and say, well, my God's not like that, so I'm going to black out that verse. Paul says this, beginning in verse 6. He says, yet among the mature we do not impart, or excuse me, among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And none of the rulers of this age understood this, for they had, they would, had they, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, that God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, everything, even the depths of God. What Paul is referring to here is the wisdom of God. How that God, through His wisdom, brought about a plan that you and I might be purchased from Satan, purchased from the dominion of darkness, purchased from an inevitable eternity in hell, that God, in His wisdom, at the right time, would bring about His Son, who was sinless, lived a sinless life, And he would be beaten and tortured at the hands of man. And he would go to the cross and he would shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, buying us back by the payment of his blood. If you were God, would you devise that kind of plan? 
I wouldn't. I'd go on Facebook, Twitter, every social media thing about it. You see, God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Can you imagine the disciples at that time? I mean, just put yourself in Peter or John's place. I mean, you, you've left your job. You've left your vocation to follow this guy, Jesus. You think he's going to overthrow Rome and he's going to be seated there on the throne and, and you're going to be at his right hand and you're going to rule everything with him. And all of a sudden, what you never expected happens. He's crucified and he's buried. You're sitting there around the fire and you're like, man, what are we going to do? Can you believe that? We invested all of that in following this guy. What a disappointment. How ridiculous we're going to seem. And if I go back to my family, they're going to say, hey, buddy, you made your bed, sleep in it. But then on the third day, while the demons were celebrating because they finally thought that they had overthrown the wise plan of God. And he raises for the dead. And he says, I'm the firstborn from the dead so that you also too may have resurrection and the hope of eternal life. I never would have planned it that way. And all the wisdom that you and I could have had, we never would have planned it, but God did. Lastly, it's through the Son. I'm just going to let you fill in your notes so I can go to the last point. Through the Son, that He has brought that about. How do we become wise? Because we all desire to have the wisdom of God, don't we? How is it then that we become wise? Number one is this. It begins for reverence of His ways. And what I mean by reverence in that is to fear and to honor, to respect, to bow down before to submit ourselves to the wisdom of God and His ways. Proverbs chapter 1 says this, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What does that fear mean? It doesn't mean that I shrink down every time His hand approaches. It means that I reverence God, that I awe God. As, as we were singing, how great thou art this morning. We, there was a reverence because we acknowledge that God is great. And we reverence the wisdom of God because He knows all things and it's a part of who He is. The second thing is this, is that it grows, our wisdom grows with receiving His Word. Psalm 119, verses 97 to 100, says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I Keep your precepts. I was talking with two of the guys in, in discipleship group that I go to on Friday mornings, and this week we were just kind of in, in awe of, 
of God as we were talking about God saving us and we were sh- talking about the sordid testimonies in our past and, and, the, and the miraculous transformation that God began to take place in our lives the moment we trusted Christ and surrendered our life to Christ. And we all three identified that one of the things that really marked that transformation in our lives is that all of a sudden we had a desire and a love for the Word of God. Unfortunately, oftentimes that can wane in a believer's life. And if that's waned in your life, I'd say this morning, man, you need a spiritual checkup. Could you, as David declared in Psalm 119, could you resonate the same thing that he resonated? God, your word. How I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Paul tells us this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 about the Word of God. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I, I'm not preaching at you this morning, but I'm encouraging you, get in the Word of God. It is by the Spirit of God and the Word of God that God works actively in our lives to grow us to maturity so that we might know Him more and know His will and know His ways. We've got to be in the Word of God. There may come a day when we don't have access to it. In Nicaragua, we're training pastors now. You've heard me speak of this most often. Nicaragua is about to fall again under communism. I just got a report last week that one of the brothers that went down had a case of Bibles that he was taking in for the pastors there, only to have them confiscated as he flew in to Managua. What are they to do? The hope is, the encouragement is, that these pastors have been digging in and studying the Word of God because when it's taken away, the only thing that they have is what they've memorized and what they've learned and what they've expressed and as they train their people in the Word of God. Lastly, it requires asking for it specifically. James says this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You lack wisdom in the circumstance you're facing today? You're not sure which way to go, to the left or to the right? God says here, just ask me. Let me tell you this, God will never give you wisdom that is contradictory to the Word of God. You see, sometimes we run around to four or five people trying to find the answer, and really what we're looking for is the answer we want to hear. (laughs) I learned a long time ago that most often we don't know the right thing to do, but it's how to do the right thing. Sometimes it requires that we give up some things. Sometimes it requires that we initiate some things. But God will speak to his children, and he does that by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. You see, the beautiful thing is that when you and I came to Christ, he placed in us 
He indwelt in us the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God searches all the deep things of God. And we have the Spirit of God residing in us. God will give us the wisdom. James goes on to say in this passage, but listen, if you ask and he gives it, don't ignore it. I'm paraphrasing. Sometimes we don't ask because we know the answer he's already going to give. I'll conclude this morning with this, Colossians 1.9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Paul praying his prayer for those in Coloss. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You want to pray for me? Pray that I'm filled with the wisdom and knowledge of God. As I pray for you, I'm going to pray that you're filled with the wisdom and knowledge of God. Pray that when there's temptations not to be in the Word of God, that God would draw us to the Word of God so that we might know of Him and gain wisdom in our lives so that we might share the truth of the gospel with those that are out. I'm going to ask our worship team to come close us in the old hymn called, Be Thou My Vision. And as we're singing this closing song, I want to ask you to do this in reference to the words of that song. As we've seen already in this Real God series, we've seen that God is a big God. We've seen that God is a good God, that He's a generous God. We've seen that God is a holy God. We've seen that God is a sovereign God. Worship Him in this closing song in light of those things that He's revealed Himself to be. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.